on the desk in front of me is the most beautiful book I've seen this year. It's called The Waking Dream of Art, Patricia Giles, Painter. Now, when Patricia Giles was growing up in the 30s and 40s on the Apple Island, art reflected, well, the, you know, it was seen through the prism of white settlers. But Patricia was in love with the natural Australian bush to an extraordinary extent. I'm sure you all know the story of how Turner, my all-time favourite painter, would lash himself to the mast so he could paint storms at sea. Well, Patricia would tie herself down to avoid being blown away by the roaring 40s just so she could capture the light, the landscape and the ever-changing beauty of her island home. Over her career, which spanned six decades, Patricia helped change the way Tasmanians see their home too. And now her life and work have been detailed in this fabulous book, as I said, called The Waking Dream of Art, by author and historian Dr Alison Alexander. The good doctor is editor of The Companion to Tasmanian History and has found time to write 35 historical works about... And well, may you smile, Alison, about Tasmania... But, Alison, this is the first biography of a living person, although, of course, uh, Patricia died last year. You met and interviewed her over 60 times? Yes, that's right. 61. (laughs) So introduced us to the woman, and why did she, uh, well, pique your interest? Well, I went to see her because I was writing a book on finding utopia in Tasmania. And she had been part of the Lake Pedder protest against uh, flooding the beautiful jewel Lake Pedder uh, in order to make it unnecessarily to add to a hydro dam. And so people had been looking for utopia in, in the scenery there. So I went to see her and I just really liked her. And I walked into the house where she was living since 1937. It was full of art. It was full of art books. It was... She was just wonderful. And so I, I said to her on the spur of the moment, can I write your biography? And she said, who'd want to read it? <laughs> well, you've done her proud. Now, she's born in Hobart in 1932. I understand the family didn't have a lot of money, but they had some social standing. They did, and that was very important. The money didn't really matter, but as long as she was related to the half of Tasmania that thought they were wonderful, not that she did, but uh, she laughed at us. Now, she went to art school at Hobart Tech, but nobody taught her watercolour painting. No, watercolour painting tends to be looked down on, especially by art schools, as being, oh, I don't know, the province of the amateur, I suppose. And so she and her companion Max Angus were determined to show that it was the way to capture light, that they could really capture that beautiful wild Tasmanian scenery best with watercolour. Was she influenced by Glover, who I know did watercolours early in his career? You know, she never mentioned Glover. Turner, yes, but not Glover. So possibly when she was learning art, the early Australian artists weren't looked at much. It was all the English ones, all Turner and Constable and whatnot. What about someone called Joseph Connor? He was he was a neighbour of hers who was an artist and gave her tubes of paint when she was a girl. So she, she she knew quite a lot of artists. It was a 
the area she lived in was the sort of place artists might live. There were three or four roundabout. Uh, but the person who really influenced her was Kitty Henry, a landscape designer. Now, Kitty Henry, a bohemian neighbour, yes. Patricia's mother warned her against hanging out with such an outrageous woman who wore slacks and may have been a communist. Yes, I know, which, of course, only got Patricia in there faster. But she... she with her very uh, doing the right thing, conservative family, to see this wonderful independent woman who didn't care what she said and didn't care what she wore was just a revelation. Okay, tell us about her childhood. It was, it was very happy. She had a very loving family. She was the only child and grandchild and so grew up. She said she wasn't spoiled. There wasn't much money, but there was a, a very warm atmosphere and they all loved going out in the bush for picnics, so from her earliest years, when that was quite unusual. Well, they had a car for a start, and not many families did in the 30s, uh, going out into the bush and really enjoying it. Now, in 1956, she leaves a, well, a safeish job at the University of Tassie, gets a job as secretary of an aero club which flew planes into the rugged southwest. Well, yes, that was part of the start of it. And the man in charge encouraged her art. And so she was allowed to go along on flights and see even more wonderful scenery. Going out for picnics, all very well. Her family had a shack at the Great Lakes in the centre of Tasmania. And that got her love of the bush. But then she could see the southwest, which is really fabulous. And she could see it from the air, thanks to Lloyd-Jones. Yes. Tell me a bit about Lloyd because he's a very significant figure in the story. He is. He was, he was very dashing, handsome, interesting man who, who had been a pilot in the Second World War and set up an um, air company that took people well, all around Tasmania, flew it all around Tasmania, but especially into the southwest. He was a very good photographer and uh, loved photographing it and so he encouraged Patricia to paint the southwest. And, of course, uh, through him she meets Edmund Hillary, who Lloyd takes up in the plane to, to see the mountains yeah. and Lake Pedder. Spare seat, so Patricia yeah. hops in. Yes, yes, she had a wonderful time. So in 1961, Lloyd-Jones, who had been, I understand, a, uh, a Liberal candidate for state parliament, has a rather nasty accident, becomes... Seriously handicapped. Yes, yes. And he and Patricia had talked of setting up a gallery in Hobart and so she decided to do it with his wife and his help as much as he could and it was the first commercial gallery where artists could sell their work. And it was opened by Rob Bob Menzies. Yes, yes who of course was a friend of Lord Jones. Lord Jones was the sort of man who had a lot of friends everywhere. So after her first solo exhibition, she gains some recognition yeah. by the Royal Society and the Australian Watercolour Institute on the mainland and she gets asked by Max Angus to start up the Sunday group. Tell me about Max and the Sunday group. Max, Max in Hobart is a household name because partly because he was also another watercolour artist of the Tasmanian scenery, also because... He was an extremely nice, gregarious man and uh, a prominent protester for the environment, whereas Patricia was quite quiet. He was much more um, outgoing and charming and handsome and everybody loved Max. And, but he and Patricia complimented each other in their work and started going out on Sundays and 
he had been painting this sort of tame, Europeanised uh, landscape round Hobart of, with old barns and willows over creeks and that sort of thing. But she said, no, no, we have to go right under the bush, unspoiled bush, untouched by human hand. And this was just in the 60s when people were starting to get cars and see it for themselves and it was a movement to show Tasmanians what Tasmania was really like. Well, of course, you've talked about the, the horrible story of Lake Pedder, that mad decision to uh, to flood it for the, well, unnecessary hydroelectric scheme and so uh, suddenly your hero becomes, well, she turns her paintbrush into a sword. Mm. Yes, they had caps out there and painted and then had exhibitions to show people the wonders of Lake Peter. Didn't work, but they tried very hard. They had several goes at it. Now, of course, uh, we've told the story on the program in the past about the uh, about the um, United Tasmania group, which morphed into the world's first Green Party. And uh, although... Patricia came from a conservative voting family. Lake Pedder turned her into a greenie. Absolute lifelong greenie. She was still writing letters of protest to the paper in her last year about against uh, putting up cable car up Kunyani, Mount Lake Wellington. They're still trying to do that, they aren't are. they not? I hope they failed. <laughs> I think I'd join you in that. Now, Professor and poet Jim McCauley joined the Sunday group on uh, painting expeditions, and he considered the group one of the most significant art schools in Australia. And, lo and behold, in 1974, he wrote a poem about her work, and that gives us the title of your book. Adelson, would you be kind enough to read the poem? The textures of a secret world, which is also the world out there, Tussock, reed, lichen, fern, she-oak, pink rock, the swirling graphs of rippled water, sea things, wings of cloud, and moving through the life of plants, the life of birds, the lurking native hen, complaining plover, translated by viridian, gamboge yellow, black, rose madder, raw sienna, cobalt blue. All these become presences, feelings, in the waking dream of art. I'm riffling through the book as we speak and she was, a, to say the least, a dab hand. She, But she had a variety of styles. She wasn't sort of narrow, was she? She said she was always trying new things, always testing herself and pushing herself to the limit. I particularly like her paintings of birds, one yeah. bird in particular. The currawong. She decided to set currawongs, which she painted from cutouts... She had a lot of cutouts of carillons and she placed them on a watercolour and then filled them in. Some people... they, you know, they remind me of this this group of paintings. They remind me of, of flowers pressed in a book. Yeah. They're two-dimensional in that same way, but they're very elegant. She manages to get a sort of characteristics into the birds. You can tell that one's a greedy one and one's a lesser. <laughs> <laughs> it's fascinating. But she the, loved doing it. But the watercolours... They're so, well, energetic, aren't they? They're oh, almost reckless. Yes, yes. Yes, there's real feeling, real love and passion. I also note there's a couple of self-portraits. Yes, yes. She, she enjoyed doing portraits. She was good at portraits. They, had, they also had a Thursday portrait group, which um, would get sitters and do portraits. But isn't there a rather sad story about a portrait in the Archibald? 
Yes, yes. She put portraits in and also in for the win prize and she was hung several times but never won it. And it all got too difficult and so they, she and Max gave up in the 1970s. So she stayed single? Yes. She was engaged to a young man but it petered out and she still had her last letter to him with the way they had it. You know, they had a finger in those days saying, return to sender. It was rather brutal. So for 40 years she continues to work, well, prolifically, producing an exhibition a year, but she never quite got the wider recognition you feel and anyone reading the book has to agree, you feel she deserved. She was a very modest woman. She, she believed in her art very strongly, but what she wanted to do was paint. She didn't want to be famous. And so she didn't push her art at all. Unlike, say, Max, who did. She wasn't all that wildly popular among the artistic community, though. Many of them didn't approve of the way she worked. No. They didn't approve of watercolour and they didn't approve of doing so... Uh, she was... Yes, yeah, she, she had her own ways to, of doing things and she, and she wasn't going to kowtow to any beliefs of how what other people thought she, she should do. And she gave herself a problem because she was so prolific that her paintings didn't have the value of scarcity, yes, did they? Yeah, that's a real problem with watercolour, when you can do five or six in a day. So did she struggle financially? Well, she didn't care about money. She didn't care about money at all and she could live on the smell of an oily rag. She said she was very glad when she was eligible for the pension, huh. uh, but that was about all she ever said about money. How were her final years, Alison? Oh, when I met her, she was still painting and she was still vibrant and full of life and wonderful, but she faded over the next three or four years. And in the end, I think she sort of gave up. She was faced with leaving her house that she'd lived in forever and her health was getting her down. And now, she'd have a number of love affairs which you don't go into, but oh. uh, no-one was around to really look after her. No, they weren't. And, you know, I'm not an investigative journalist. It was on the tip of my tongue to ask her, but I thought, no, I can't. She said, I'd rather not talk about them, so I thought, oh, well. Well, <laughs> but in a way it doesn't matter, you know. She, she had close friendships, obviously, with men in the book and uh, with a lot of men, and some of them might have been sexual and some of them weren't, but really it's, it's the friendship aspect that's important rather than exactly who did what to who. You make the point that she never said she was a feminist, but she preferred to remain an independent woman. Absolutely, yes. She, she said, about Bax, she said, I was so glad I wasn't married to him. I would have been a dreadful wife. She hated cooking. She hated anything domestic. I can't tell you what a wonderful job you've done with this book. How on earth was it affordable? Oh, well, I got very fond of Patricia, extremely fond of her, and I felt as you said, that she'd never received the recognition she deserved. And I thought, well, she's going to get it. And we had a wonderful launch in the Hobart Town Hall, which is a beautiful building. And she said she wanted to come in in a palanquin. <laughs> so we made one out of a chair with carrying poles. And so she came in to uh, the entrance of the Queen of Sheba, waving gum leaves, <laughs> and the, she had, there was a, a couple of hundred people there and they all rose to their feet and cheered. And it was, I thought she's never had a wedding. She's going to have the day of her life, and she did. You are 
An extraordinary character, Alison. <laughs> Thanks for coming in. And I should point out that Alison is actually sitting in the studio, which is these days a rare treat for the ancient broadcaster. My guest has been Dr Alison Alexander and she's been channelling the work of Patricia Giles. Uh, the book is called The Waking Dream of Art, Patricia Giles, Painter, and it's published by Pillinger Press. It's the winner of one of Australia's most significant history book awards, the Dick and Joan Green Family Award for Tasmanian History. Congratulations and thanks for coming in. Thank you very much. Find more great ABC RN stories that take you beyond the headlines on the ABC Listen app.